Greetings, peoples of Earth and beyond. What follows next is a Doctor Who Podshock live episode, a 2007, also known as Series 3, series review episode. This is our last live episode reviewing the 2007 series. We are reviewing it as a whole, the series. We did individual episodes, and now we're reviewing it as a whole. Uh, spoiler warnings are in effect. If you have not seen the entire 2007 series or Series 3, you may want to hold off on listening to this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. Uh, the episode, the live episode, did run longer than we expected, so therefore we're going to uh, split this into two. So what follows next is part one of two of Doctor Who Live 2007 Series Review. Recorded live. Live from where girls pronounce Daleks dialects, it's Doctor Who Podshock. Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 89, the, uh, the 2007, almost at 19, the 2007 uh, series three uh, wrap-up episode. We're here live, and let me um, introduce you to our cast of characters we have for this uh, live podcast. I'm Louis Trapani. Hello. And joining me is our co-host, Ken Deep. Good afternoon. Good evening. Round the world. And good morning. You don't want to leave out any. Oh yeah, I don't want to. Don't want to leave out any time zones. <laughs> and also with us, uh, returning from last week, we have Joe, also known as Omega Uniforms. Hello, Joe. Hello to everyone. Good to have you back. It's good to be here. Great. And first time um, on our live show, we have um, joining us our regular contributor, Colin. Hello, Colin. Hello, although it's the second time. I was on at the very beginning. <laughs> Were you? Yep. Uh, okay. I, Way I, I back do when you first started these. <laughs> it's okay. I take that back. <laughs> You're very impressive. <laughs> yeah, I could stand on my head and rub my tummy, too, but you can't do that on a radio show <laughs> or a podcast. Well, you can, but the effect is lost. Move along. Move along, move along. Well, this is Colin. We have to ex- we have to pad the show now. We have to really make this an extended show. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Colin is our bullwhip to keep the show sh- keep the show sh- keep the shows shorter, and I'm not going to do that. Come on. Now. And with us is West from the CIA, um, <laughs> the CIA podcast. I just realized it says, um, his screen name says CIA Shock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, West. Hello. How's everyone doing today? I'd like to say, Lewis, you spared no expense on sound effects in this place. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, it's a very expensive um, sound effects machine. It's tongue and, and, and lips. Anyway. 
Oh boy, do we do we need to change the name CIA to something else? Because it seems to confuse quite a lot of people. And I'm afraid somebody's gonna be knocking on my door one day. <laughs> with dark sunglasses and um, yeah. one of those. Could you come with us, please. <laughs> yes, we have a Head, special hotel room in Guantanamo for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, last but not least, also with us today, live on the show, is Dave Cooper from Manchester um, in the UK. And hello, Dave. Hi, Lewis. Hi, everyone. Hey, Dave. And, um, well, hey, first off, uh, you know, I just wanted to add a couple quick little notes here, Lewis. Uh, being that we were just speaking with Wes a second ago, and you and I joined him on the CIA podcast a few weeks back talking about Blake 7. The sad note, of course, of Peter Cunningham, uh, the voice of Zen, Slave, and Orac, passing away this past week was a, was a very, very sad day in British sci-fi history. That is sad. Yes. He was um. I was he. He was in his eighties. I forget his exact age. Was it eighty-eight or? He's always so enthusiastic to be involved with Blake Seven. And just about every interview I've ever heard with him, he he you know he was just like one of those guys who was very proud to be involved in the show, and uh, and always very enthusiastic about doing his part and stuff and. Um, he was also involved with Doctor Who as well and. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he has a, a long history of um, other shows that he's been involved with, but I guess many of our listeners will probably best know him know him from his uh, work in Blake Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very sad. He had he had a wonderful voice and a very unique, you know, voice at that. You know, the, the sort of like um, you know, Simon. Uh, well, no, Pete was it um, the voice? Well. We have Colin with us. I'm not going to make uh, the, the, the voice of the book was uh, uh, Jones. Was that um, it was Peter Jones? Peter Jones. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's um, talk about what we're here for. We're here talking about the latest series of Doctor Who that just finished transmission two weeks ago with the Last of the Time Lords. Um, this was this is series three since Doctor Who has come back. We're going to uh, give our thoughts about the series as a whole. You know, these live podcasts that we have been doing, we've been examining each and every episode. And so now is the time that we can kind of evaluate the whole series and, has, and how the series stands on its own, you know, as a whole. Because sometimes when you're reviewing just little um, episodes, you, it's, it's hard to kind of judge how they play in part of the whole series and um, how much weight to give everything. And um, now we can stand back and look at it, you know, and, and see how things and maybe revise some of our opinions of earlier episodes as well. I'm going to say, um, as far as my own personal feelings, is that uh, I thought this series was a bit more consistent than last series, where I felt last series there were a lot of highs and many lows, and um, where this one was, for the most part, more consistent. It seemed um, a little bumpy at first, and then it started to build up momentum, and I I, I thought the last... um, Half of the series really carried that momentum forward and kept on hitting the mark um, for the most part. And again, it, it, that's not to say that it didn't have some problems. Um, um, as, as I mentioned in the beginning, I, I, I thought some of the stories, well, one in particular, like the Shakespeare Code, uh, even though 
it was a fine production, fine writing, and it's just the subject matter for that. It, it, I, I'm, just as an overall opinion, I was just going to say that I think this, I think this series is relying too much on magic and mystical stuff, and not enough on on science. Not that Doctor Who should become a high science, you know, science fiction show. It's not Star Trek or, um, you know, obviously 2001 or anything like that, but. It just seems to be relying more on, especially, um, I, I didn't give out any spoiler warnings, but obviously we're talking about the series, so there's going to be spoilers in here. Uh, if we go back to the last of the Time Lords, my, my major complaint uh, with that episode was the um, the magical stuff that was going on and the Doctor resurrecting, and it, 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 I just wish there was more, even if it was explained with a little technical, tech, what we could sometimes call um, technical battle, it will just kind of root it more in believability. At least that, that's how I feel. It's but otherwise, I, I thought um, production-wise, everything was top-notch. Um, I think the the mill and Murray Gold and um, a lot of the directors were um, pretty much hitting the mark in this series, and um, really no no complaints there. So Ken, let me get your overall opinion of the series. Yeah, I've, I've pretty much let the cat out of the bag over the, the course of the, uh, the season finale as far as what I was, how I was feeling about the entire season. And, and I, I guess the best way I could put it is that, uh, that I thought the first half of the season was okay, and I thought the second half of the season was excellent uh, for yeah. the most part. Uh, I think that Paul Cornell and Stephen Moffat have definitely carved themselves among my favorite writers on the show and... Uh, we, we've come to really look forward to their stories. They've, they've always uh, done something very interesting. There's always a lot of feeling to it. And, and as like, like you were saying about the magic, they seem to rely a little less on the magic part and, and more about... Um, it's interesting, Russell T. Davies was, was sort of designing the show to have a little more of, uh, about feeling and emotion and things like that. And those writers seem to embrace that and run with it. And through his stories, he seems to go more with this, you know, like a little bit of, like you said, the magic, uh, as opposed to trying to to, uh, work out the story and flesh out uh, this this progression. You know, the the last part, as I mentioned last week, the three-parters seem to be a series of just great ideas, uh, as opposed to taking anything and expanding on it and sewing it all together and... And, and trying to figure out why everything worked a certain way. Russell T. Davies seems to jump into that, uh, uh, like you said, a little bit of that magic, a little bit. Science fiction is that. It's science, but fictionalized. And this show isn't a pure science fiction show. It, it's a little bit of fantasy, and a little bit of gothic horror, and a little bit of children, and it's a family show. So it doesn't always have to be perfect. There's, a, there's, a, there's built-in magic to be had but to rely on that to get you in and out of story things. And um, that, to me, is, you know, Doctor Who did it better. There was, there, Doctor Who always had the ability to kind of get that done a little bit better. And, and that's where I'm if, – if I have any criticism, that would be it. I've, I've been taken to task this year about my in Russell we trust uh, phrase. And this is the first year where I've kind of felt that – there's been some rumors that he might step aside, and I would like to see him remain as a story writer. I think as a as someone who would come on and write um, 
uh, a story or two, a two-parter here, or perhaps the season finale or something, that would be great. I think his talents are very necessary. But perhaps uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if it was, he felt that, well, I, have, I want to concentrate on some other things and I've gotten the show off to a good start. And provided uh, it's really, the show has really succeeded beyond everybody's expectations in the U.K. And this, this legend, this icon that they have in Doctor Who is back and stronger than ever. So I don't think it's going to be a situation like we had in the past where now it's, you know, okay, Russell's stepping aside. Now let's see how fast we can tank the show and get out of this. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that, uh, that people in, in the U.K. are, wow, we've got Doctor Who back, and it's better than ever, and everybody's very rah-rah. So with the right people behind it, of course, the show will continue. But um, overall, in the, in the series, uh, you know, uh, they, they did break some patterns. They put a three-parter in and, um, and a few things like that. Next season's going to be crucial. Uh, so, the, the three-parter really, I mean, in a sense, it, it, it's sort of like the first part of the three-parter was just a setup for the next two-parter. It, it really wasn't a true three-parter in, in, a, in a real sense. I mean, Absolutely. The way human nature was definitely a part one and a part two. Uh, yeah. the, the season finale was not a traditional, this is part one, this is part two, this is part three. Uh, actually, it was probably best resembled the... Keeper of Troc in Legopolis Castrovalva trilogy, where uh, you could view each story individually, uh, and it would stand on its own merits. But together, it told it told a, a story of what's happening with the Master and the regeneration of the Doctor and the show going in a new direction. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this season was as good as series one or series two. Uh, it actually made me appreciate some of the things that I didn't like in Series 2 a little bit more. How's that? Well, I happened to catch in the, in the Doctor Who marathon last week, Love and Monsters, and, and I actually was, was thinking to myself, well, you know, I understand that they do a lot of different experimenting in this show now, that it's not going to be exactly what we think it's going to be. There's going to be times when they, they have a, a, a secondary character or a guest star lead the show, and there's a Dr. Light episode. Um, <clears throat> I think they learned that this time around it, it, it had to be a little bit stronger. It couldn't be so Scooby-Doo, as you put it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that was the, my, my complaint about that episode was, was that aspect of it, not so much. I mean, if you have to have a Dr. Light episode, so be it. And, but you compare that to Blink, it's a world of difference. Absolutely. And I also, I also have to footnote my, my criticisms of the show by saying that at no time are we not glad the show is back. Uh, and to be honest with you, if, if I thought that my comments were ever going to hurt the show or, or hurt the fact that they would make Series 4, Series 5, Series 6, I just wouldn't say a word and I'd sit back and watch it. Um, but this is what we do. We sit and, as fans, we sit and we say, we like this, we don't like this, and we enjoy this, and we're glad for this. But at the end of the day, the worst story of the season, you could, if, you, if the Shakespeare Code was the only thing in this season we had to watch, I would still sit back. I'd still enjoy it. And I also have to say that it was on the other night on Sci-Fi Town. But once again, I think it was the fourth or fifth time, I fell asleep in the middle of it. And, and I, that really bothers me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it happened. It happened to me as well the first time I saw it, and 
doesn't bode well. But I mean, it's it's still. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 still. Again, it was executed very well. It just um, I I just didn't really buy the whole you know power magic and words and power of words and all that stuff. But that's um, you know it's it's fine for Harry Potter. I just um, and I don't mind Doctor Who sometimes going into the little mythical and magical stuff. But it just seems to be. Um, playing a bit too heavy on that nowadays. I mean, if you look at, if going back to um, The Last of the Time Lords and the whole, you know, Gollum Doctor, you know, the little Doctor, getting, you know, getting back to his old self again and reemerging out of the cage and the cage melting and all that. I, I look at that and I just can't imagine any other Doctor, you know, having seen that in any other, you know, previous doctor accomplishing that it just doesn't doesn't seem doesn't seem doctor who to me i agree 100 percent i mean i I just can't imagine like watching a john pertwee episode and having him you know magically transform like that or any substitute any other doctor really all right well let's um both ken and i are here in the u.s let's um See if the opinions are any bit differently across the great pond, and let's jump over to Colin. Yeah, um, well, I do have a difference of opinion with you guys on the Shakespeare Code. I did actually like that one. Um, I just, I, I don't think there's any of the ones that I haven't liked. I don't think it's because they weren't good. They were, they were all very well done, and you could see that there's a clear quality in the production work. And there hasn't been one that I thought. No, that was a load of rubbish. They haven't thought about this one at all. Um, where there have been ones I haven't liked, I guess it's just been a difference of taste for me. You know, it wasn't personally what I liked. Um, the Shakespeare Code I enjoyed. I liked Smith & Jones. I thought it was a good intro. Um, you know, a bit generic, but then again, you're um, having a new companion in. Um, the ones I didn't really go for, um, Gridlock, I didn't really go for that one because I felt like the story was sort of just driving it towards the final words of the face of Bo. Um, no pun intended when you said driving. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, the face of Bo, you know, where they said he's got these words, and I'd already guessed what they were. Um, yeah, I think we all had. Yeah, well, that was it, and I thought that the uh-huh. whole thing was just steering it towards that, so that when this came out, there wasn't really a revelation. I didn't feel it, it sort of led to anything. Um, likewise, the same sort of problem I felt with Dialects of Manhattan, um, albeit for the fact that the gaff was a bit blown, really, by the Radio Times having the, um, the creature, mm, the cover, the yeah. Dalek hybrid on its front cover, and even using the final words to say, I am a human Dalek, and so that when you get to this bit, he might as well have just said, I am the creature on the cover of the Radio Times, because it, it didn't feel like a cliff. <laughs> Um, you already knew what it was. Um, Evolution of the Daleks, I just thought, mm. I mean, there had been such a lot of work had gone into it. Don't get me wrong. The sort of the, all of the work on New York um, and the special effects, and considering, you know, the fact that they have had to see Jai all of this in, and I thought they they got a You're breaking up a bit, unfortunately, Colin. Um, and the the one thing that I didn't sort of get from Evolution of the Dalek was um, I didn't think it was really a good use of the, uh, what are they called, the Skult the sculpt of Caro, the Cult of Scaro. Um, and also the fact that one of them got away, and it was kind of like um, 
the doctor sort of almost allowed him to get away by what he did, um, which I'll come back to again shortly. Oh, what else was Oh, yes, the other bit that annoyed me a bit in Evolution of the Daleks was all of this sort of, come on, exterminate me, and you know damn well that the Daleks not going to. Um, in other stuff where there's been sort of the doctor facing the Daleks, there has been that risk. You know that there is no possibility it can happen, but you felt that there was a genuine risk. But this was like kind of confronting the issue and showing us that the Daleks ultimately can't exterminate the doctor. Um, by, but it was by plot contrivances. Um, anyway, back on schedule. Lazarus experiment I liked. 42 I quite liked. Um, you know, it was sort of a, it was a, it was a bit of a filler episode, but it was a very well done filler episode. Um, Human Nature and Family of Blood were very good, and I wonder if, I don't know if the Hugo Award nominations have been announced yet, but that would be what I would be putting my money on for that one. Um, Blink was ex excellent in the terms of it. it was such a lovely surprise. We were all thinking, oh God, Love and Monsters too. Which, to be fair, <laughs> Love and Monsters, I said last year, it wasn't a bad episode, and they experimented. I just don't think it, it worked particularly well. But, you know, good on them for trying. This time, they had tried again. They tried something different. And this time, it did work, which just goes to show that, as I've said in the past, um, Doctor Who can be at its best when it's trying to be different. Um, then there was Utopia, which I thought had a brilliant ending, but I was sort of watching that and thinking that was really, really good, but then thinking, well, what, what was the whole backstory with all of the people? Um, Sound of the Drums, which used excellent build-up of tension, which I enjoyed on that bit, but again, I was thinking, what happened to all those people who were going to Utopia? Are we going to get an explanation there or what? And then Last of the Time Lords, which just left me feeling sort of... Eh. You know, it, was, it wasn't a bad story. There's a lot of thoughts had gone into it, but I didn't feel that the ending justified the build-up that it had been getting all series. Um, I didn't really care much for the sort of Peter Pan type stuff of everybody think of the Doctor and he'll be renewed. Um, I thought that was a bit self-indulgent. Mm -hmm. You're breaking up again, unfortunately, Colin. Yeah, I was saying um, it made me feel for the first time that it made me much. Um, so, I mean, ultimately I enjoyed it, but I think I probably enjoyed season two slightly more. But that said, it's all been, you know, very good stuff. And I think that the stuff that I didn't like has been a com just a combination of my own personal taste, mm -hmm. perhaps things that I would have maybe done differently if I'd done the story myself. <coughs> so that's me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Colin. And um, sorry about, uh, you know, the audio problems we had there. I, I don't know why that was happening, but hopefully um, it's resolved. Oh, so, actually, quite um, I that I was going to come back to the Dr. Lesson Garden The other thing was... Yeah, you're breaking up again. I'm sorry. <laughs> the fact that he gets master, and I thought the fact that he basically given the Daleks almost a second chance goes against what he said about he's not a second chance doctor. Mm, true. So that's me. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Colin. Um, we're gonna um, since we're we're in the UK with Colin, we're gonna go to Dave. Hey, Dave. Hi, Lewis. So, uh, yeah, I, let's get your perspective. Uh, well, pretty much uh, I'm in line with Colin there, but uh, uh, 
going from the start, I thought uh, I rewatched uh, Smith and Jones just a couple of nights ago, and I was surprised how good it was. I mean, I enjoyed it first of all, but I would go as far as to say, uh, and perhaps this is not a good thing, but it was probably Martha's best uh, showing. Um, she she came through quite well in one or two stories, but it shows such promise, and I think that's why Ken and myself and one or two others thought that the first part of the series was a little lacklustre. But every episode, uh, I think, barring Evolution of the Daleks, which was probably for me the low point, and that was because I'd expected so much of it, and then we were talking about it, and we were we were raving over the sets. We were admiring the artistic... Uh, creation that had gone in, the, 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 the loving detail, the way that they conjured up uh, 1930s New York without even going to New York. And, uh, and we were talking about everything else except the strength of the story. And Colin's right, well, in my opinion, uh, that man-like, um, that creature, it was given away. The, the whole thing, they were so keen to court publicity that to me that... Um, it, it wiped any interest out of that uh, story and therefore, of course, had the knock-on effect um, sorry, from the Daleks in Manhattan to the evolution of the Daleks. So, um, the first parts, you know, the Shakespeare's Code, the only standout part for me was the, uh, the girl who played the youngest witch. I can't remember her name offhand, but uh, she was a really... Uh, good guest artist and that's been the theme that I've spotted all the way through uh, the, the, the the people who've been able to attract I mean I would imagine that uh, there's a lot of um, actors and actresses in the UK and they're pressing their managers say get me on Doctor Who, get me on Doctor Who get me on Doctor Who because um, even from Smith and Jones they had the, the chap who played the consultant um uh, Roy Marsden, uh, he's a, a very well-known British actor. Um, in uh, Gridlock, we had the, the Irish actor in that. In um, 42, we had uh, one of the actresses from the soaps. And I actually liked 42. I thought, I couldn't believe how fast it went. It was just, uh, you know, uh, one, two, three, four, five, the, the episode just hurtled along at great pace and of course although it wasn't on another planet at least it was out in space and the other criticism really of that was the fact that um, again Ken pointed it out we were getting a little formulaic in the order of the episodes with the historic one and so on and new earth and future this kind of thing but other than that um, it was excellent. Uh, the Lazarus Experiment, again, uh, another great guest actor. who made. In fact, there were two, made a brilliant part. And the only downside for me, and I think one or two others, was the fact that they relied a little bit too much on a, a CGI monster that, that was really a little bit overcooked. But maybe it was one that the kids would have liked. It was certainly one that would have them hiding behind the chairs. And, and then on to the, the, the big middle two part, the human nature and family and blood. Well, I think this is what the BBC do best. I mean, uh, the, the, the setting up in the, the, the human nature one was absolutely excellent. And, and I think also Martha came quite through in it. Guest artists again were brilliant. And David Tennant, I mean, 
he, I thought he was absolutely excellent in that one. And uh, the family of blood creatures, they did the job. They were okay. Uh, the young boy, the actor that uh, th that was in it, the, the whole span of the, the time where it went all the way through to the funeral um, right near the end, uh, it was an excellent two-parter. And then the one I was dreading, Blink. And I loved it. The the girl, the actress played Sally Sparrow, she really carried it off. Now, if we'd have had, I'm sorry to say Martha, but if, if the actress, Freeman Adjuman, was just a little bit more in the mould of uh, Sally Sparrow, this episode, this series, would have blasted every other series out the door. Because um, I don't think Martha held it back, but she wasn't exactly the strongest link. And... Um, that episode was marvellous. I loved the the Weeping Angels. Again, it was another one to frighten the children, and it had that lovely little twist at the end, just to make sure the kids who were already frightened of mirrors uh, were already frightened of um, some of the other vengeful things that the Doctor had done in earlier episodes. Now they had to be frightened of uh, statues as well. And then, of course, we came to what we found out to be a three-parter. With Utopia, we had Derek Jacobi. I mean, how good is that? To have a person of that stature to come on uh, Doctor Who. I mean, this is stuff of dreams. This is real. I mean, this is the cream of British acting coming on the show. And uh, he didn't let us down. And although I was waiting like everybody else for John Sim to come on, I was a little bit disappointed we didn't get more of Derek Jacobi. Uh, I mean, he went from the bumbling professor with just a look in his eye, and I'll swear darkened his eyes <laughs> when he turned round and whispered, I am the master. I thought it was excellent. And I'll get carried away now, aren't I? I'm sorry about that. Um, and then John Sim, um, he played it a little bit too, um, a little too gamey, a little too uh, silly for me. Um, the, 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 the very frightening thing we'd been thinking about it for weeks and weeks, the drumming on the table, the gas mask, the frightening scene in the uh, number 10. And then what does he do? Deflates it completely with a Mr. Bean thumbs up. And, and <laughs> I mean, it just, it just threw me out of the moment, that. But uh, then again, um, it was his wife. Well, what a locker she was. I mean... Uh, I was a bit hooked on that. I mean, uh, uh, she didn't say much, but uh, she certainly uh, made an impression on me. And I thought that was a, a lovely uh, uh, little um, cameo part from her. And I'd like to think from the little uh, the little uh, sequence that happened at the end with the master's with the master's funeral with the master's funeral pyre that uh, we might see her again. Sorry about that phone call. I've just stopped it. <laughs> and um, then um, uh, that was about it, really. Uh, um, I think it was an absolutely brilliant series. It was a, a slow to start. It took off in the middle. And the standard has just gone up and up. And um, I think the final thing I'll say is David Tennant, if he was ever in Christopher Eccleston's shadow, he's firmly stepped out of that now. He is well and truly the Doctor. Okay, I think that's about me done. <laughs> All right, Dave. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I, 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 
I, I agree with Dave 100% that, that Tennant definitely has carved his own niche in the show. You know, he really, uh, and I'm glad too, <clears throat> because Chris Eccleston was so incredible. Um, to actually have him, you know, do his own thing now and, and be very, I mean, he was always a confident guy and he wasn't a person, you know, you, you heard stories about like Peter Davison early in his first season um, feeling that he was in the shadow of Tom Baker. I think David Tennant stepped away from Chris Eccleston rather quickly and has kept going. Oh, yeah. And that's good for the show. And of all the things that we can criticize about the season, David Tennant is not one of them. Uh, Murray Gold is not one of them. You know, there's, there's certain things in the show that have really just been spectacular and, and has never let us down. And then mm-hmm. definitely one of them. Yeah, I, I agree. And my wife thinks he's hot. <laughs> Dr. Hottie. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Dave. We're going to um, now jump across the pond to um, to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey. So uh, tell us what how your overall feeling about uh, the 2007 series or Series 3. All right. Overall, um, I agree with uh, a lot of what uh, Ken and yourself said about how, you know, I personally felt that, you know, it started off, a little slow and then sort of worked up into something. I don't know why. I just, I really just didn't like uh, the first two episodes that much. You know, that said, I thought, you know, again, like David Tennant was great and such, but it just, like, the first episode, um, I had watched it with a friend of mine, and uh, it turned out to be a mistake because that friend of mine really it just sort of looked at me and went like, "They're they're on the moon. There's rhinos and a a lady <laughs> sucking blood from people out of a straw. What the, the hell are we watching? You know, like." And I was like, "It gets better. Don't worry." And and uh, well, now that's a lost cause. But uh, you know, like it, it just it was a little too silly for me. Like, had they. Had they taken out the straw or just did one less of the silly things, I think it would have been a little easier. But, like, I felt myself cringing, like, when she took out the straw and was sucking the blood out of the straw, you know, just because, again, that was a little bit of magic, you know, like, sort of like, look, I can take this little straw device and suck all the blood out of you. And then, you know, we... uh, we get into, you know, the Shakespeare Code, which I was cringing pretty much from the beginning just because the witches were very over the top right off the bat, hmm. you know, and it just reminded me of very, you know, it, it just it came to me just came off as being a little too silly right off the bat because I couldn't take them seriously. Yeah, they, they were just like caricatures. So, yeah, completely way up there, you know, with the high pitch cackling, and it was very, you know, I I don't know. They they were very stereotypical looking witches. They were very, you know, they were riding on brooms. You know, it was like the whole nine yards and all that. And they tried to throw in some, you know, like David Tennant was throwing in some of those bits with uh, how Israeli science sort of a way, and I didn't think it really conveyed that well, and if they made one more joke about a Shakespeare line, I was done. 
<laughs> it was it was getting pretty brutal towards the end. I'll use that line. Oh, I won't use that line. Oh, wait, that's one of my lines. I was, I was done by the end of that. Then, you know, uh, Gridlock. I enjoyed Gridlock. Um, I really have too many complaints. I didn't read that much into the series, so I wasn't looking forward to any particular story. I didn't have any hype towards anything. And, you know, I saw the macro, and it was like, oh, that's sort of a nice touch, but... You know, then we get to the Dalek story, and I personally enjoyed this Dalek story more than some of the other Dalek stories in, that they've done. Um, but having said that, again, it was it wasn't like in breaking new ground with the Daleks. We saw the Daleks using humans to make new Daleks in Revelation of the Daleks and Parting of the Ways, you know, which was just two series ago. So to me, it was a bit of a letdown with the whole, oh, gee, they're using humans again. You know, they've been doing this for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sort of was a big letdown for me uh, as far as that goes. But, you know, having said that, there were a lot of touches to, like, the Hartnell era sort of Dalek stories, which I enjoyed. Um, you know, and then uh, Lazarus yeah. Experiment. You know, it was all right. It was, a, I thought it went a little too dark um, for what they had been doing prior to that. Like, that, you know, it, it felt very Batman to me. You know, like... Uh, David Tennant's at, you know, some, you know, sort of fundraising convention in Tuxedo and something goes wrong and he, you know, becomes the doctor sort of thing. It was very Batman, very, like, superhero-y to me. And, um, you know, I felt wasn't... It wasn't exactly what I'd normally expect from Doctor Who, but, you know, that's fine. They try new things all the time, but that's just sort of what I got out of it. And then 42, um, I think I talked to Ken about this at some point, um, and he had mentioned uh, how, you know, it was a lot like um, last season with, you know, the Impossible Planet and Satan Pit and such. And, you know, I had watched those stories recently, you know, and I have to say, it really felt like they were on the same ship, and it was the same crew sort of thing, and that sort of took away from the story to me, since it was about almost the same time from last season, and it was a very similar story where this higher power is possessing members of the ship, yeah. and... You know, and they're getting sucked into something. Instead of a black hole, it was the sun, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. It, it yeah. was very... Too similar there. Yeah, it's way too similar. And then, you know, we really hit the meat and potatoes of the series with, uh, you know, human nature and family of blood. And I think one of the reasons for that was, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I could picture almost any other doctor in that same type of story. Oh yeah, you know, uh, like it really—it it really it was originally re written um, with Sylvester, you know, the Seventh Doctor playing mm -hmm. the, the part, the those yeah. two, the, that two-parter. 
Yeah, and it really showed. Like, you could really picture all sorts of combinations of doctors and companions and that sort of. Yeah, it, I think the story works with any, you know, I don't think it's really tied down to any particular doctor, that story. That, that could work with any any previous doctor, I believe, too. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I thought that was great. And so much has been said about it, and I agree, and there's really no point in continuing on that. And then same thing with Blink, which I just, you know, really enjoyed it. And, you know, there's really nothing else to be said about that. And, um, you know, then you have the three-party, you know, with Utopia, which I, Utopia just caught my interest and piqued my curiosity and was one of those stories that I was just interested in seeing because they piqued my curiosity throughout the whole story, and I was interested in this. And a lot of that had to do with we were finally really on another planet. We weren't on a ship. Mm -hmm. We weren't looking over a planet, you know, we were actually on another planet with another species that, you know, you have those, like, the animalistic humans and you have the humans, and, you know, it was it was really one of the first times they did that, and I really enjoyed that aspect yeah. of it. And, um, you know, then we go back to Earth, you know, we have, you know, the Master and um, to the final two stories with John Sim. I liked how they gave the master a companion in the form of his wife. I um, definitely enjoyed how there was a real nod to the classic master stories by having, um, you know, the monsters. Uh, what were they? The uh, tro Trophan or something like that? Yeah, the... The Chocolate Flame. Poplarin, that's it. Yeah, and having that, because that was very classic Master. It was very, you know, the Masters manipulated this otherwise fairly innocent race into uh, being a very vicious uh, monster. And, uh, you know, it was very Sea Devils, very, you know, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And... You know, and the fact that they made him a little sillier sort of to make him more of a foil to the doctor uh, was an interesting touch. Uh, that said, I wasn't crazy about the one year later stuff um, and a lot of the weird mystical stuff that happened in The Last of the Time Lords. However, the thing that redeems that a little bit for me is that, you know, in uh, The Infinite Quest, uh, it takes uh, the doctor a year, uh, it was like a year, like three years or something like that, I think it was three, to get to Martha at the end of the Infinite Quest, and he sort of shrugs it off, like, oh, don't worry, it was only three years, it's like nothing to me, it's sort of attitude. With human nature and uh, family of blood, there's also that idea of the doctor waiting, and I think that helps convince the audience at the end of the of the season that, you know, well, it sort of makes sense they'd wait a year just because this is something that's consistent with the series. That helped me get through it a little bit, rationalizing it that way. Overall, I'd probably give it three and a half TARDIS groans, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I really, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I think I also enjoyed series two a little bit more, 
And um, one of the things I noticed at the end of this and just thought about it was how every series they're taking more and more from the original show and putting it in. Um, in the first series, we had four episodes with uh, old villains, you know, with the autons and uh, three Dalek stories, but it was really only like three and like, um, you know, a tenth of an episode where the Daleks are really in it. You know, where it was the Autons and you had Dalek, and then they were really only in Parting of the Ways, not so much in the story before that. And then you go into the next series, and we have um, the Cybermen are very predominant in four episodes, and then you have Sarah Jane and K-9, so that's like five episodes. And then this season, uh, we had six, where we had the Macro, we had three with the Master and two with the Daleks, and it seems more and more episodes every series are uh, being consumed by um, the older sort of monsters and characters, and it sort of reminds me of uh, the John Nathan Turner era in that way, since in the beginning, it wasn't so much about the old monsters, and as the series continued, it became very much about, you know, the old monsters and constantly bringing back. Drawing from the past. Yeah, exactly, because the first, you know, uh, Tom Baker's last season, Pierre Davidson's first season, there wasn't too much of that, but, you know, by the time, you know, then you, there was really a lot of drawing on the past, you know, by the end of that, you know, we had uh, Colin Baker's first season, had, I think it was like, what, one original monster with Phil, you know, and that sort of idea, and I, I feel like that's the direction they're going in. And uh, there's going to be a lot of drawing on the past. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best idea, just because so many great series in the past have uh, had all, you know, mostly original monster designs. And I feel like there's too much reliance on the past to making the finale. Like, the finale doesn't have to be the Daleks, the Cybermen, or the Master. You can have an original finale where it's an original monster and the fate of the entire universe isn't in the balance. I feel it's sort of well, makes that whole idea petty after a while. It's very Star Trek movie-like syndrome where every Star Trek movie had to have the entire galaxy in peril in order for you to go and spend two hours in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. So it was like Klingons were attacked, or Romulans were attacked. Something, something major had to happen in order to get you in the movie theater. Well, mm-hmm. it's the same thing like you're saying with Doctor Who with the finale. You know what? Sometimes the season finale, a, a story like a human nature that just has an impact, could be just as good as a series finale as a major battle between baddies. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what... Uh... That would be part of the pattern breaking that, I was, that I've always talked about. Next year, mm-hmm. if it's a two-part series finale and it's a, it's a thing, let's just... I'm just going to throw the idea... I'm just going to throw something out. I have no clue whether this is going to happen. But um, somehow we discover that Gallifrey is still around and it's being hidden on the backside of a black hole or something like that and Rose is there. That's fine with me. Because the Daleks aren't involved, the Cybermen aren't involved, and any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. 
let it be something a little bit different. I think yeah. we may be getting away from the pattern in the, just by the Christmas uh, episode being Voyage of the Damned. Maybe we're getting that, that one historic story a season as the Christmas episode instead of it being episode two or three a la Shakespeare Code or... or, or, uh, or I'm quite dead. dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're getting the, the historical story out of the way in the Christmas episode because the Titanic sunk in April. So there's no tie-in to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully they're just it's just a holiday special and not a Christmas episode. Yeah, no, that'd be great. But, you know, definitely. Like, it's starting to get a little irritating with the everything, the entire universe is hanging on the balance and every series finale and you know after a while it's just like you know there were so many great series finales that didn't involve you know everything on the line you know and yeah exactly I think that'd be great like I think I may have even considered you know the series to be a little better had they actually done something like Human Nature and the Family of Blood at the end or something like that Mm-hmm. They yeah, built up to something that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, like what I enjoyed about that story in particular was that, like you were saying, the entire universe was in peril. There are some baddies, and they're trying to find the doctor, and the doctor is hiding. Uh, at no point, time, space, our dimension, other dimensions, or or Daleks or Cybermen weren't involved. And at no point was this just giant thing hanging over us. Sometimes it's as simple as the doctor's life is threatened. Yeah. And I've always spoken about drama. You know, drama is about conflict, and, and sometimes conflict can just be something very simple and something scaled down. It doesn't always mean that giant armies are pitted against each other. Conflict can be two people playing a chess game. Yeah. No, but, you know, exactly. Like, um, you know, sort of like uh, Girl in the Fireplace the previous season. You know, it wasn't like the end-all, be-all, the world of that and end. It was just a bunch of robots trying to fix their ship, and right. it conflicted. And the story was, was driven in a different direction because of that. Yeah, and, you know, that to me is more interesting because we do get so much of the, you know, monster going to blow up the world, going to destroy the universe, going to wipe out the sun or something, and... Well, I tell you, one thing that we haven't really touched on in the, in the first three series um, is a story like The Green Death, as an example, where perhaps there's a little, um, a little um, subtext going on about our environment or the world we live in, and just a, a, just a nice fable where there's a, there's a moral at the end, there's a, there's a story at the end that, hey, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to pollute. You know, something along those lines. Like, this is a family show, and, and, and you have this, the doctor takes on something that that's, has either ecology or something about our world. Part, oh, yeah. of his, part of his stance in the Pertwee years was that we were supposed to take care of our planet, that we're supposed to be stewards, and, and maybe Doctor Who could return to that next season. That's something that hasn't happened yet in, mm-hmm. this, in this series. All right, well, um, 
because the, the show is moving along and Colin's there with the whip. So uh, we haven't got we haven't gotten to Wes. So I'm gonna um, just move along to to Wes. And I want to thank Joe for um, you know his comments. And uh, but I just want to um, get to Wes, and then we're gonna get to because we have several people that are calling in. And uh, we're going to get to them. And again, if you want to call into our show, you can call us uh, via Skype. And the phone number is what's our phone number? It's seven two four 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 seven four four four. And then the Talkcast ID is two three three five eight. All right. Well, um, West, you've been waiting in the wings. West, uh, no pun intended. With West Wing, there. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that one before. <laughs> well, for everything, there's a yeah, first time. Um, well, you know, being the last one here, everyone said everything already, so I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Um, overall, I love this season. Um, like everyone said, it's been pretty consistent throughout. And, you know, you got to think, even the what we would consider the worst episodes of Doctor Who are still better than 90% of television out there, so they're really not horrible. Oh yeah, it's like mm-hmm. per- it's more personal preference than anything. I think yeah. the stuff we didn't like. As um, Ken said earlier, we, I mean, whenever we criticize the show, we're still grateful and appreciative that the show's back on the, you know, that only, the new episode's being transmitted. Oh yeah, it's only because Doctor Who sets such a high standard that I'm that critical. Because at the end of the day, I would watch Doctor Who over 99 percent of what is on television today. Oh yeah. Um, going to what you were saying about uh, season finales, personally, I think the season would have really benefited from the finale episode actually being Utopia with that ending. It would have just been crazy to have to wait a year to find out what happened, but I still think it would have been fun. Mm-hmm. But because um, I felt like the finale episodes were kind of rushed there toward the end, like they had to, so much they had to cram into it. I still enjoyed it, and I, I guess it. It needed to be done that way to kind of move the story along um, so we can get the Christmas episode out there. But going back to a few things earlier in the season, like the Smith and Jones, you know, I like the Jadoon. I thought they were neat characters and the fact they really weren't villains. They were just kind of cosmic police. But I think, you know, they were too close to Santarans to not be Santarans, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have been interesting. In the Shakespeare Code, the, the witches to me were kind of, they were like Macbeth, and I guess that's where he got his idea for it. The third episode, Gridlock, was one of my personal favorites there for a while until Blink came out. And um, I think it's because I enjoyed Brannigan's character so much. Um, you know, even though a lot didn't happen in that episode, except the face of Bo maybe at the end, there was a lot of good character development. Every episode had incredible character development, and that's what you don't get a lot in television today. And, and I think Except, everybody would agree that um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Wes. I think everybody would no agree problem. that Brannigan would be a great companion. Oh yeah, since he had to bring his his litter along with him, <laughs> him leaving his family. But um, seriously, I think that's a character we should revisit sometime. But then sometimes the best characters are the ones you get once and never see them again. And as far as uh, the Dalek stories, you know, I think you know you still got to remember this is a family series, and not all of it's going to be adult drama-oriented stuff, and there's going to be a little bit of silly things for the kids, and I enjoyed the Dalek episodes. It reminded me of the classic 60s, you know, Daleks a lot. I like the way they're doing that more than throwing Davros in there and turning it into mad scientists with his little robot slaves that really aren't that menacing anymore, and I'm glad I kept him out of it. 
you know, if they bring him back, it'll be has to be something really cool, or else it's just going to fall flat on its face. I think. Um, and then I've read a lot of people don't like the master's betrayal in this, but you know, I really didn't want to see someone copying the other masters either. I mean, it, you know, each persona is different, so having him be like a 360 degree the way from Delgado or or Ainley was just brilliant, and I liked John Tim. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really good at it. And then, you know, I hope he's not completely gone. Although a completely different master would make sense. Um, but overall, I would give it a four out of five for the season, especially about it being more consistent than season two. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say the crown jewel of the season is Blank, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that's an excellent episode now to introduce people to Doctor Who with. It, it leaves you wanting to know more about the character. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts on this season. I kept it short for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Wes. Do you believe someone plays out like a like a small, uh, like an almost an indie thriller movie, and yes. then the Doctor sort of sprinkled in there. And if you wanted to ease someone into Doctor Who, yes, that would probably be the way to go. Well, you didn't hit him over the head with the fact that this guy's an alien and he travels in what looks like a phone booth but really isn't, and it's stuck that way, and it's actually be ten of these guys. That could be a little overwhelming to somebody. <laughs> I think that's why a lot of people don't watch it, because there's so much backstory for the show that that it's daunting at times if you're new to it. It, it is, but it's also what makes the show great is I think what is appealing to many science fiction fans is that there is an, uh, uh, a depth to it. There is a history yeah. to it, that it's not just... Uh, what I hate in sci-fi pilots, or, or television pilots in general, is when the, the pilot episode is rolling and they deliberately create a, create a mystery, and by the second episode they've explained it to you. Like, I don't know, he, the, the, the captain and the cop don't get along. And in the second episode, it's because he shot his wife. Yeah. Like, you don't have to explain it to me. I'll figure it out. Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I, that's why I always like to keep some of the mystery in Doctor Who and not to explain it all. And, you know, I think that's one. I mean, it's Doctor Who. It should have a question mark after the Who. You know, it's it's always been a, a bit of a mystery. And if you go back to when the series began, uh, nothing was explained. You know, we haven't, I don't know how many years it took before we heard the name Gallifrey. And, um, you know, so slowly little bits of information came out. It wasn't all explained in series, in the second series in 1964. You know, it, 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 carried us through, you know, and and the interest was there, and, you know, we didn't know he was able to regenerate until Patrick Troughton came around, so um, I, I, you really need to keep that mystery there, and I think having the, such a history to draw upon, and, and, you know, and having those crumbs in the current series here and there, I just think it makes it more interesting, and it adds another layer of depth to the series that um, other series just don't have. Right, and and if, if Russell can keep going from where he's at, you know, there's some things that, that kind of now is the time to start explaining. Now that they've kind of explained the master a little bit and his relationship with the doctors, there's one nagging question out there. What's going on with Susan? Let's find out about that a little bit. <laughs> well, I wonder if he'll turn the clock back that far. That would be, that would be very interesting. <laughs> uh, but, but then again, that's something that could he could sew up a lot of interesting things by saying, and this is just, again, spitballing with these kind of things, perhaps, uh, you know, if she is a time lady, you know, you do have the last of the time lords. Well, if, she's, if, if there's the last of the time lords, what happened to Susan? What happened to Romana, who's, you know, in, in E-Space? And, and 
all these other questions. So is he really the last of the Time Lords? That's, that's why that title to me was a little bit misleading. You, you had this, this sense that they were going to confront some of the issues that have surrounded Gallifrey. And, and, the, and, it, and the, all the Time Lords are still out there. They all have five watches, and they're all pretending they're all in human disguises throughout time and space. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like the question is, like, is Susan a Time Lord or is she just a Gallifreyan? I mean, she may not be regenerating. Uh, it was never clearly explained. One can assume she's obviously a Gallifreyan, but we don't know if she's a time lady. Right. I mean, right. again, the show, in practicality, the show was in its, in, in its infancy, and it was what it was for the first season. You know, I, I don't think anybody had any, any grand design going forward that they'd have to worry about that question. So, uh, but, but it is something that could be fun to be tackled in, in the current series, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she may not have been a time lady at that time, but maybe, you know, if somehow she got off of Earth or whatever, maybe she became one later on. Maybe she yeah. ran Captain Jack. Well, uh, the yeah. great thing about that is um, they leave it open by, they talk about that he has a family. So it's sort of easy to sort of bring that up. Because even for fans that don't know, they can just say, like, oh, well, you know, I have this granddaughter, and, you know, he, he could try to find her in an episode or something. You know, they leave it open that he has this family and that he thinks they're all gone. So that's a possibility to sort of tackle. So I like that, you know, it'll always be up in the air. Even if they never explain it, it'll be something that older fans can always speculate on. Patrick Trump had a very poetic way of putting it in one of his, his episodes. He said, my family, family sleeps in the back of my mind. And I just, I always thought that, that was sort of the best way to put it. You know, you don't know what, what it's all about. You know that, that he's run away, but he hasn't forgotten them. And, uh, uh, like Lewis was saying, though, there is supposed to be mystery. And explaining it all, you know, it's not, sometimes the show should run its course and, and, and never explain certain things, his name mm-hmm. or, you yeah. know. There's certain things yeah. you need to know and there's certain things you'll never need to know. And if we never found the man's name out, well, the title that's, of the show. That's, yeah, that's the title of the show. It's not, you know, <laughs> you don't need to yeah, go well, there. Yeah. That's one of the best parts of the show is even under the threat of cancellation, even when they thought that the show was over, they didn't feel like, gee, you know what we should do now that we have the show back? Explain everything because we may never get another chance. They never did that. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like it. It, it seems like they tried to start doing that at the end of Sylvester's run, though, because they started to make him more mysterious but throwing little tidbits at us at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were trying to add, you know, more mystery into the character again and into the show. Okay, I think that's a good spot to end part one of this two-part live episode of Doctor Who Podshock. Be sure to come back for part two of this live episode episode we're reviewing the 2007 series or series three uh we do have a a studio show that will be coming out shortly hopefully right after this one um actually right after the next one uh the conclusion of this live episode and we're coming back with another live episode on sunday july 29th at 1 p.m eastern daylight time and the topic is 
why are you a Doctor Who fan? So uh, we invite you to join us for another live episode. And uh, we will be coming um, out with more studio episodes as well. I know there's been an outcry for more studio episodes, and we're going to get back into that routine uh, now that the Series 3 or the 2007 series has come to a conclusion. Uh, the purpose of doing the live episodes was to get them out in a timely fashion. And um, so the audio quality shall return back in the studio shows, and the audio qualities are getting better with the live shows as well. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this time. Catch you next time. Cheers, everyone. have been listening to Doctor Who Pachak live by the fan run Gallifreyanembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC Doctor Who Pachak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Pachak. You can email us at feedback at podchalk.net I am the master, and you will obey me.